If you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, in the book of Matthew chapter 1, I already kind of gave that away for you, didn't you? I read a couple passages earlier. The book of Matthew starts out by identifying the purpose of the book, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So it starts out by establishing the purpose of the book. Uh, and, and, of course, the book here, it gives us adequate proof. If I had to do a purpose for the book of Matthew, it gives us adequate proof that Jesus Christ is both Savior and the King that is prophesied to us in the Old Testament. Now, in verse number 22, after listing the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ, it gives us the genealogy, of course, it's in three sets of 14, and that third 14 being, of course, Jesus Christ. And it really ain't part of the message, but a free tidbit in case I hadn't already well, I know I've told you this before, but some of you might not have heard it. The Word of God is absolutely perfect. You've heard that part, haven't you? There's no flaws, no mistakes. There, there's no um, references that are wrong. There's no confusion. Everything about the Word of God is perfect, including the numerical system of the Word of God. Absolutely nothing is out of order. Nothing is out of place. And the numbers always mean something. So if you look at the number three, the number three always represents the resurrection. And the number 14 always represents deliverance. So what we have here is deliverance in Christ. What we see is that there is a perfectly planned event from before the creation of the world that Jesus is the third 14 after the promise given to Abraham. You notice he starts at Abraham, not with Adam, because Abraham is where the promise was given. So we have the third 14 because Jesus Christ is our deliverance from eternal death through the resurrection. Isn't God good? Well, that's all free. So after he lists the genealogy in, in the three sets of 14, we have verse 22 and 23, which I'll read them again. This is our text for this morning. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted, is God with us. So what Matthew is telling us very clear right there is that Prophecy is fulfilled, and the king is here. I want to look at a message this morning on a clear image. God, thank you so much for this book. Thank you for this word. Thank you for the clear image that you've given to us, God. I pray you give us some clarity in this book this morning, some clarity in the word, some clarity as Christians, God, that we might go out and be a light to a dark world. Father, I pray right now you'd remove any hindrance in this place. God, I pray your sweet Holy Spirit will move in. Forgive us where we failed you. God, cleanse us of any sin, every evil thought, every evil deed, anything, God, that might hinder your Holy Spirit from doing a work in here right now. Father, I love you, Lord. We thank you, we trust you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, you know, in, in my younger days, it wasn't that long ago, but a little bit back, there, there was a phrase that was made popular that even today, as a matter of fact, within the past couple of weeks, and that's kind of one of the things that brought it up, I used this phrase that's been popular for a long time. You know, this past week being Christmas, and I realized some plans got changed, but some didn't. We, we got together with family and did things, and one of the things you can rest assured, when we get together with family, pictures has got to be made, Amen. 
People start getting out the cameras and taking pictures. And a lot of times, we ain't seen them since last year, so you take them all, all of them together. Or we, we have events like weddings where we sometimes pay an awful lot of money to professional photographers because we want to record that event forever. We want to get good pictures. We want to keep it there. Or sometimes we go on vacation. We maybe go to the mountains. You get up in the morning, you're drinking your coffee in the sun coming up across the mountains and the steam, coming up out of the valleys, and just beautiful. You go, man, I want to capture that. I want to show people what we saw, and we take pictures of it, or we go down to the beach. That's more my wife's speech. She loves the beach, and you go down, and, and you get up in the morning. Well, that's not her speed. Let's go to the evening time. And at nighttime, you're having dinner, and the sun is setting over the ocean. It's just beautiful and you go man I want to try to preserve that and so you take a picture of it we we try to get those things and bring them back all of those things are called the same thing those are called Kodak moments that, that was a phrase that was made popular of course by the film manufacturer Kodak and Kodak films Kodak cameras but Kodak at one time was the largest film company in the world they, they led the film industry for more than a hundred years as a matter of fact, at one point in time, around the world, of all film that was sold worldwide, 89% of it was produced by Kodak. But in 1975, there was a young man named Steve Sasson. He went to work for Kodak right out of engineering school, and he began to take some spare parts. True story. You can Google it. I'm not smart. I just Google this, and so I like to read some of the things that are out there. He found some spare parts and began to put things together there in the Kodak plant. And he created the first ever digital camera. Now, it's not like the one you have in your phone. He's come a long way since then. This first camera weighed eight pounds. It took a .01 megapixel picture. Can you imagine? It took 23 seconds to capture the image. And it started on a cassette tape. November 17, 2009, President Barack Obama awarded Sasson the National Medal of Technology and Innovation, the highest honor awarded by the U.S. government to scientists, engineers, and inventors. Now, he's an engineer working for Kodak. The problem with Kodak is they thought it was a pretty cute idea, but it'd never take hold. I mean, digital photos. Who would think it, right? So Kodak passed on the idea. See, Kodak's mistake was that they thought they were in the film business and that everything was about film. But photography is not about the film. Photography is about capturing an image. Y'all didn't get that. Let me say it better. Photography is not a film business. It's an image business. Kodak was given an opportunity to capture pictures in a new way. But they passed on the opportunity. Because they passed on it, other companies took the lead and, and skyrocketed with digital photography while Kodak filed bankruptcy in 2012. The opportunity was there, but they missed it. Now, back in the day of the film, let me get back to my time. Back, back in the day when we took the pictures and we went, and the younger generation can't understand some of this, but we got film in 12, 24, 36. You couldn't take 100 pictures of a sunset and then go back and do a time lapse. You had to buy a roll of film, put it in the camera. You could take 12 pictures, 24, 36. When you got through, it was done. So you had to take rolls of film with you to go on vacation. And then if you saw a, a sunrise or a sunset, you take one, two, at the most, three shots. I mean, that's the best opportunity you're going to get. You can't just sit there and click on and on and on. You just had to, to take a couple and know that you got the image. 
Now, I know the younger generation understands the part about the picture, and, I, and I'm in your world. Even this morning, somebody asked me something. I just took a picture and sent it to them. That's the way we do everything, right? Take a picture, send it on your phone. It doesn't get much easier. So you understand the, the image capturing business and the, and the sending it on, but this is going to blow some younger people's mind that we actually had to do things this way. When we got back, if you had a 36 roll in your camera and you'd only taken 20 pictures, you didn't really want to waste the rest of them because you bought the film. So you took pictures of the dog. You took pictures of people sleeping. You took pictures of the rain. You took pictures of a bug on a bush. Just, just anything to use it up. And then you had to push the button, raise your lever, and wind your film back up into its cartridge. Then you had to go down to the Eckers Drug Store. That's where I went. There might have been some others did it. And, and you go down and you get out an envelope, and you had to get one per roll of film, fill out your name and your address and your phone number, not your cell number. That didn't exist. There ain't no text messages. None of that stuff happened. Your address and all, and then you had to wait. You carry that to them and give it to them, and they ship your film off. And somewhere four, five, six, seven days later, you get your pictures back. Crazy concept, isn't it? Huh? There lies the problem. They finally come in, and you go back to get the pictures. And there they are in that little envelope. They fold it up. Each roll's in there, and it's sealed at the top. And you got to pay for it. You can even touch them. See, they didn't trust us back then either. But it was cash. It wasn't plastic. So you, you go up, and you go to the window, and you pay, and you get your pictures, and you can't wait to get home. So you, you go over here to the side, and you, and you open it up, and you begin to, to look through your film, and, and you're in this big hurry because you want to see the pictures that you took. Only to have your heart broken. Because she said the magic word, sometimes are good, sometimes are not. Megan, give me that picture of the mountains. You, you see something, you're on vacation, and you go, man, it's absolutely beautiful. If I could just capture this moment and go back and show people what we saw and show them the event. And you had your heart set on this picture and it was going to be amazing. And, and you open the box of pictures and you look and this is what you had. So disappointing. And, so, and you can't go back there. I mean, it was maybe in Hawaii. It was a once-of-a-lifetime trip. You're never going to get to go back. You went down to the beach. Give me the, sun, give me the sunset. You went down to the beach, and you had, a, you had this picture. And you're like, wow, man. The most amazing part of that is nobody's on the beach. You've got the whole place to yourself. And you just want to capture that moment. And so you come back, and, and you want to show the world. But you look at your picture, and this is what you've got. It was so disappointing. I know in this generation that doesn't seem like much to you, but I promise you those are heartbreaking moments. It, it, it was so bad to, to, to get it out and, and to, to look and see because the only thing you now have is a blurred image that's absolutely good for nothing. You had such high hopes. You wanted to show somebody something. You wanted to capture that and forever be able to look back and remember your event. But all you have is this blurry picture. The opportunity was there, but you missed it because you did not properly focus the camera on the subject. The subject was there. The opportunity is there. You did not properly focus on the subject. The problem with the 2020 church is we've gotten out of focus. We are not clearly focused on the subject. We're not clearly focused on the image that, that we're trying to show 
people, they say that a picture is worth a thousand words. But a picture that's blurry and out of focus isn't worth anything. See, today the church doesn't have a film problem. The film's good. When you get a blurry picture, it wasn't because you had bad film. It wasn't because you had a bad camera. You just missed the opportunity. You did not properly focus on the subject and take time to get things clearly. The problem's not the film with the church this morning. The Word of God, as we looked at it, is in complete clarity. It has not changed. We saw it this morning. It's still there. Revelation 19, he's still King of kings and Lord of lords. He still came on what we call Christmas Day. He still died on the cross. The blood still washes away sin. The tomb is still empty. He's still up there preparing a place. He's still coming back to get us. The Word is in perfect focus. It's the church that we seem to have gotten things out of order. A a picture that's out of focus is is a disappointment to the photographer. Anybody catch that? A picture that has gotten out of focus is a disappointment to the photographer. The one that that prepared the picture. A Christian living a life that is out of focus with the Word of God is no good for the world to see. So it must be a disappointment to the photographer. We're called to be the church, amen? We're called to be the body of Christ. So in order to present a clear image of something, we have to first have a clear image of what it is that we're trying to present. For hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, God revealed the Messiah in what we call the Old Testament. God revealed the Messiah that would come, told us everything about him in the Old Testament books, about everything that he would come. There's not one book from Genesis to Malachi that does not give us a part of the description of who Jesus Christ is going to be when he gets here. There's clues all throughout the Old Testament. Matter of fact, there's so many clues in the Old Testament It is hard to believe that the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes are the recorders of the law, the ones that take and keep it written and change it over. The Pharisees are the teachers and the keepers of the law. It's so hard to believe that it was so clearly pronounced throughout all the law and the prophets that the scribes and the Pharisees could have missed who Jesus Christ was. Anybody agree that it's hard to believe that as much as God told them about the Messiah that would come, that it's hard to believe that the teachers of the law themselves missed it? You know what's harder to believe? Is that in today's world, we not only have the Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah that was going to come, we have the New Testament promise of the Messiah that did come, climbed up on that cross, died for a sinner like me, rose up out of the grave to give me eternal life, to wash away all my sins, write my name in the Lamb's book of life, and people still miss it every single day. We have the whole story, not the part leading up to, but we have the complete picture. And yet every day, people in this world refuse to acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. Approximately 740 years before the birth of Christ, during the reign of Ahaz, king of Judah, Isaiah prophesied. Then he'd be born of a virgin. Verse 14 of chapter 7. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Genesis chapter 22. God shows us that the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham when he called out to Abraham the second time in verse 17. Then in blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. 
In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. In the book of Numbers, chapter 24, the Bible tells us that the Messiah will be a descendant of Jacob. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Isaiah tells us in chapter 11, verse 1, that he'll be of the root of Jesse. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jeremiah 23 tells us that he is a descendant of David, king of Israel. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David. David, a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Psalm 72 tells us, they that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him. Y'all remember, y'all got your manger scenes, right? They're still out. You still got a part about the wise man and the priest and coming and bringing gifts. Shall bow before him as enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him and all nations shall serve him. What we have in Matthew chapter 1 is the confirmation of all of the prophecies fulfilled. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. It even told us of the little insignificant city called Bethlehem. That Jesus Christ would be born in. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah. Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah. Yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel. Whose goings forth have been from old. From everlasting. Book of Deuteronomy in chapter 18. Tells us he'll be a prophet. Psalms 110 tells us he'll be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Psalms chapter 2 tells us he'll be a king. Psalms 22 tells us he's going to be a shepherd. Psalms 23 tells us he'll be a good shepherd. Psalms 24 tells us he'll be a great shepherd. Malachi told us he'd send his messenger before him, talking about John the Baptist who came. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Isaiah 35 tells us that he's going to do many miracles as he walks on this earth. Zechariah 53 tells us that he'll be rejected of men and crucified i'm sorry isaiah 53 tells us he'll be rejected of men if you well, you knew when i said zachariah if you know the word of god you knew that man isaiah right zachariah chapter 12 tells us that he would be pierced Psalms 22 tells us that they will divide his garments. Matthew went on in chapter 2 and said that he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Even the location of his childhood was foretold by the prophets hundreds of years before he ever got there. Zechariah 9, 9, Rejoice, O daughter, the greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation. Salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the fall of an ass. That was prophesied in the Old Testament. Matthew chapter 21, verse 4, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the fall of an ass. Verse number 6 of Matthew 21, the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. A very great multitude spread their garments in the way others cut down branches from trees and strawed them in the way and multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying hosanna to the son of david blessed is he that cometh in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest 
Matthew 26, 14 is a fulfillment of Zechariah eleven twelve that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew 27, 3 is a fulfillment of Zechariah eleven thirteen that the money would be used to buy what is called the potter's field. Matthew 27 is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 that he would die a sacrificial death for you and I. Matthew 27, um, that, that fulfillment as Isaiah went in and described the details of the cross and all that would happen. Matthew 27 fulfills every detail that had been prophesied. Even the words that he spoke on the cross there in Matthew chapter 27 was foretold in Psalms chapter 22. Matthew 27, 57 is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 9 that he would die with criminals but he'd be buried with the wealthy. Matthew chapter 28 verse 6 is the fulfillment of Psalm 16 that he would raise from the dead. Everything about his birth, everything about his life, everything about his death, everything about the resurrection, everything was prophesied hundreds of years before Christ ever got here. Why is it so important for you and I as Christians to know that? Why is it so important for you and I to study the Old Testament to see what Christ is about? Why is it so important for you and I to study to understand who the Messiah is? Because we can't clearly portray what we don't have a clear image of. In, in many cases, the world can't see a clear picture of Christ in a Christian because the Christian doesn't have a clear image of Christ. In the Old Testament, quick rundown. In Genesis, he's the seed of a woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the great high priest. The book of Numbers, he is the serpent lifted in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, he's the city of refuge. In Joshua, I love this one, he is the scarlet thread on Rahab's house. In Judges, he is the judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. First Samuel, he is a trusted prophet. Second Samuel, the true son of David. First Kings, he is the promise keeper. Second Kings, he is the jealous God. First Chronicles, he is the reigning king. Second Chronicles, our true deliverer. In Ezra, he is the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of the broken walls. Don't let 2020 get you down. He is the rebuilder of the broken walls. Esther, he is Mordecai at the gate. In Job, he is my redeemer that lives forever. Somebody ought to like that one. Psalms, he is the Lord, our shepherd. Proverbs, he is our wisdom. Ecclesiastes, he is our true satisfaction. Song of Solomon, he is the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. Ezekiel, he is the son of man. In Daniel, oh, I'm going to like this one, he is the fourth man in your fire. I know when you read it, he's the fourth man in the fire but I'm here to tell you this morning when your trial comes he is the fourth man in our fire Hosea he is the faithful husband in Joel he is the one who restores in Amos he is our burden 
bearer. In Obadiah, he is the mighty judge. In Jonah, I like this one too. He is the forgiving God. Anybody, everybody going the wrong way? Anybody got on the boat going the wrong way before? God give you something to do. God told you somebody to witness to. God told you something to say. You said, I'll get on a boat and go the other way. I don't like them people. I don't want to talk to them people. Thank God that we had an example before us there that lets us see that he is the forgiving God. In Micah, he is our peace. In Nahum, he is our avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the Lord in his holy temple. Zephaniah, he is the Lord mighty to save. Haggai, he is the Lord of hosts. Zechariah, he is the cleansing fountain. And in Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. There is not a book in all of the Old Testament that does not point to Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of the living God, as the Messiah who is to come. But then we have the New Testament, right? We have the promise. We have the fulfillment. The Old Testament, everything pointed forward to who he was going to be. But we have the New Testament that points everything to Jesus as the fulfillment of the promise. In Matthew, as we're looking at this morning, he is the promised Messiah. In Mark, he is the faithful servant. In Luke, somebody ought to like this one. He is the friend of sinners. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, we saw he is the ascended Lord. In Romans, he is our justifier. First Corinthians, he is our righteousness. Second Corinthians, he is the God of all comfort. In Galatians, he is our redeemer. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is our full sufficiency. In Colossians, he is the fullness of God. First Thessalonians, the Lord coming down from heaven. Second Thessalonians, the judge coming in a blazing fire. First Timothy, he is our propitiation. Our mediator, the one seated at the right hand of God in our defense. Second Timothy, he is our master. In Titus, he is our blessed hope. In Philemon, he is the one, anybody ready? He is the one who paid our debt. Leviticus, we saw that he was the great high priest, but in Hebrews, he is our great high priest. In James, he's the righteous judge standing at the door. First Peter, he is the chief shepherd. Second Peter, the morning star. First John, he's the word of life. Second John, the only begotten son of the father. Third John, he is the truth. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with the thousands of his saints. But in Revelation, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. When it's all said and done, it's obvious that the one that was prophesied, the one who came, and the one who holds our future in his hand will always and forever be King of kings and Lord of lords. You can't paint a clear picture if you have a blurry image. The reason it's important for us to study those things, learn those things, know those things, read those things, see those things, is that we have a clear picture of who he is. When Jesus was preparing to, to leave this world, when he was getting ready to go and prepare that place for you and I that he would come by, he left some instructions. In the opening statement, this is in the earlier part, but in the opening statements of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, in verse number 13, he said that ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? You listening, church? If we lose our flavor, if we lose our focus, if we lose our example to the world, which is Christ in us and Christ through us, how are you going to get it back? Where is it going to come from? If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out, to be trodden under the foot of men. 
Jesus says that it's our job to add flavor to a bland world, to add flavor to a, a bland society. It's up to you and I to present a clear image of Jesus Christ the Messiah, a clear image of, of the Savior. Anybody excited the day you got saved? We're supposed to be able to present a clear image of that day so that people might see what it is that happened to us. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spake unto him, saying that I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was talking to us through the audience that would have been present at the time and recorded in his book. He says in Matthew 5, 14, that ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Same reference to the church. If we let our light so shine among men, if we put the church on the hill, if we bring it forth, you cannot hide a bright light. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. One of the things that I remember from He's Alive, Cody, you, you got that spotlight on, is it on? One of the things I remember, I don't know if you noticed, but it's important that even a light be focused. Shine me a light right here. Put it a little bit higher so they can see it. See, a light that's out of focus is still a light. If Jesus Christ is truly in you, if you truly have the Holy Ghost of God living in you, you can't take the light off of you. So if you're living like hell, don't tell me you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you can't turn the light off. But you can change the effectiveness of the light. See, if you're not clear on who Christ is, and you're not clear on salvation, and you're not clear on how you are to live, and you're not doing your best to live the life, not just read the Word, not just try to learn the Word, live the Word. It does us no good to read what we don't live. It does us no good to preach what we don't practice. Those are called hypocrites, and we got plenty of those. So, so it's not going to stop the light, but it's not functioning at its best. What we need is a clear picture, brother. Fix that light for me. Well, back up. Back up. Do you, oh, oh. Do, do you see the difference in the light? You see the difference in a blurred image and a focused image? The same thing is true in our light. If we have a blurred image of Christ, then the world is seeing a blurred image in us. But the more we study, the more we seek to learn and to know the will of God and to live his life, the brighter the light becomes and the clearer the light becomes. Thank you, brother. You can turn that off. The, the church has gotten so out of focus in large part because we're not focusing on the word. I'm, I'm not going to get into all the help that we're getting from the word being all doctored up like it's being done. But we're not focusing on the word. We're not paying attention to detail. The things in that book are how we are to live our life. The things that are wrong are wrong for us. The things that are right are right for us. The church as a whole is not paying attention to detail. So many people 
in pulpits have gotten so scared to call sin, sin, because they might hurt somebody's precious little feelings, and they might not come back to their church. I'm sorry. If you're not telling them that sin is sin, you're not helping them in the church anyway. They need to get out of your church and go to somewhere. Somebody will look them in the eye and say, sin is still sin. Sin is what separated us from God. I am a sinner. Thank God I'm saved by the amazing grace of a loving God. The church has gotten so out of focus. We're not focusing on who it is that, that we're supposed to be portraying. We're supposed to be portraying Jesus Christ. The world can't see Christ in us because there's nothing worse than a blurred image. You saw it with the mountains. You saw it with the beach. You even see it with the light. That the Bible says we're supposed to be the light to the world. You can't see in a blurred image what it is it's trying to see. You know, we talked about how you waited so long and, and you finally got your picture. And you said it when I was talking about the pictures. You said, you get them back, you said, if they're good. And that, that was my whole point because you took them and you sent them off and you had such high hopes and you went back and, and you got them. And that was the whole that was the whole nervousness of it was if they're good, you wanted to, to get a good picture. You don't have to be quite my age. You can be close, but let me just find out if I got any company in the house. Has anybody ever taken a roll of film to the drugstore, had it sent off, got it developed, and it come back, and a picture that you really wanted in there was blurred and was no good? Thank y'all for being honest and letting me know that I'm not the only one in here that had to mail off film. So let me ask you a question. When you got that picture that you specifically took with such high hopes, and brought it back and rushed it to the drugstore and did everything you could. And, and you got it. And there was your prized possession ruined. There was your beautiful image blurred. Were you disappointed? It was a terrible feeling, wasn't it? I wonder if God is disappointed with a blurred image of a church. I wonder if a God who sent his only begotten son to climb up on a cross to pay for our sins to save our soul. I wonder if he's disappointed with the blurred image of Christians. See, I believe in today's world. Give, give me that picture of, of a church. Here's what I believe. Now, th this is just irrelevance. We know that the church is the people, Correct. It's not one body, it's not one building, it's not faith, it's not first, it's not Callaway or Rosemont or, or um, Baptist Tabernacle. It's not any of the local names. The church is the church. It's the bride of Christ. I believe this with all my heart. See, I believe in 2020. I believe in COVID-19 and the things that's going on. I do believe that the world is looking for answers. I believe that. There's a lot of things going on. I believe a lot of people are scared. I believe a lot of people are frightened. A lot of people are uncertain about what things are going on. And, and I do believe that that world is secretly and silently. See, we're in a very different world now because nobody comes and just visits a church. By the time you get here, you've already been online. 
You already know the pastor's name, the associate pastor's name, the children's department, the programs we got. You already listen to the song, the type of music we do, whether or not we have a choir. You've listened to the special singers. You've already seen all that. You already know what you're coming to before you get here. That's the generation that we live in. That's the day and age in which we live. So you've got Christians out there who are looking for a church home in their shopping churches. But see, I believe with all my heart that the world out there right now is looking for answers and they are trying to look to the church. Which, by the way, is a good place to look. It's the only place that should have the answer. But I believe the world that is out there hurting and lost, they're doing it secretively because they don't want their friends to know. They'd be embarrassed, right? They don't want anybody to know that they're maybe seeking God or searching God. So they're looking to the church for answers, but I'm afraid this is what they're getting. They're, they're, they're trying to find an answer. They're trying to see God in all this, but they just can't get it. And here's the reason why. Give me that next picture. See, it should be Christ in us. When, when people look at us, the goal is to see Christ. As Christians, we are to exemplify Jesus Christ. God gave us a perfect, clear example. Not a blurry example. Not an out-of-focus example. Everything in here is in perfect Clarity. It is in perfect alignment. We have a perfect picture of what we ought to look like every day of our lives. How we ought to live. So that when people look, they see Christ in us. But I'm afraid this is what they're seeing. If you're saved, the blood of Jesus is applied. The Holy Spirit is entered. But that doesn't mean you're walking the right walk. Or even talking the right talk. So I'm afraid that one of the difficulties that we have right now in the world is that the world is looking to the church, which means they're looking to Christians, trying to see the answer, but they're not seeing a clear image of Christ. They're, they're seeing, um, well, I'll just leave that out. See, the, the reality is, thank you, you, you can turn that off. The reality is I can't control you, and you can't control me. I wish some of you could because you could probably help me cover up some of the mistakes that I make. But the fact is we, we can't control each other. But I believe in 2021, this world is going to continue to look for answers. I don't believe the devil's through trying to shut the church doors. We see that in COVID. Think about this. Think about how good things were exactly 12 months ago today. Think about how good the economy was. Think about how good everything was going in our lives. Nobody saw it coming. Think about how different New Year's Day 2020 is going to be from New Year's Day 2021. New Year's Day 2020, we started out with a bang. We were on top of the world. Anybody agree? Everything's good. Finance is good. Food's good. Health's good. Everything's good. That's where we started out, and here's where we are at the end of that same year. Look where we're starting out 2021. 
And people tell me they're looking forward to it getting here. I'm not sure that I am. But I do know this. The worse it gets, the more effect our clear image can have on them. The darker it gets in that world, the brighter that light can shine. The harder things become out there, the clearer we can be in here. So if we truly want to make a difference come 2021, it's going to boil down to you and I. See, as I said, I can't control you. I can only control me. Which means in 2021, I need to study to show thyself approved. I need to be reading this book. I need to know something about this book. I need to get out of kindergarten and learn something rich about this book. I need to get out of first grade and elementary school. I need to get some in-depth study on this book. I need to know some things about this book. I need to dive into it and have the Holy Spirit fill me up and teach me. Put some clarity in my light. Put some clarity in my image that somehow that world can see Christ in me in a clear image. But I can only control that in me. See, I, I, I believe, and I know we're all at different levels. I, I have no doubt, and this isn't a stone's throw. This is just a, this is just a truth. There, there's some sitting in here that you've never read from in the beginning to amen. You've never read from the first words of Genesis to the last words of Revelation. You've never read the book cover to cover. Whoa, that seems so scary. I promise you, you'd be amazed at how simple it is. Go over here on South Greenwood Street, the Good Seed Christian Bookstore, and see Reverend Simpson, and buy you a one-year Bible. It takes you about 10 minutes a day. Get up in the morning, read your 10 or 12 minutes, and just do it seven days a week. And when we come right here next year, you'll have read that entire book all the way through, cover to cover. See, if you've never read the Word of God, you got to start right there because we can't have a clear image of what we've never read. How can we expect to know something? Listen, you can't count on me to tell you what this says. you got to read it for yourself. And if I say Zechariah when I meant to say Isaiah, you ought to be able to go, mm-mm, mm-mm. That ain't Zechariah. Isaiah 53 is one told us about the cross. Mm-mm. So I ought not be able to, to say a wrong book and, and sit out there and look like people are in agreement. But if you haven't read it, then you can't know that. So I honestly would like to challenge anybody. If you've never read this book, I promise you, it's so simple. I promise you it's simple. There ain't nobody hates reading more than me. I don't read because I love to. I read because I have to. I read because when you're a dummy like me, that's the only way to try to put some kind of sense in there. But, but 10 minutes a day, if you're, if you're not a great reader, 15 minutes a day tops. You, you just read what that by you, you don't, don't worry about trying to use the one in the back right here that gives you, you know, read this passage and you go check them off. That's more difficult. Don't set yourself up for failure. Just go get you a one-year Bible. I would like to say one-year King James Bible, but go get you a one-year Bible from Reverend Simpson and start on January 1st. And, and in 10 minutes on that day, you'll be done. On January 2nd, 10, 15 minutes on that day, you'll be done. January 3rd, 10 to 15 minutes one day you'll be done. And by December 31st, you've read the Word of God through. It's a must for the child of God. But a lot of you sitting here, and I know you've read this thing cover to cover an awful lot of times. I don't know how many years I did it before God finally said, you need to stop reading and start learning. 
Because if y'all like me, I can sit down and read for 10 to 15 minutes at, at 5 o'clock in the morning. By 12 o'clock, I can't tell you one thing I read. Anybody with me on that? Comprehension is a killer. So for those of you that have read the Bible through, study to show thyself approved. Start doing some word studies. Pick out in the beginning God and do a word study on in the beginning God. You'll be amazed at what you'll begin to learn. But it's up to you and I. That's the only way we're ever going to get a clear image. That's the only way people are ever going to see Christ in us is if we put the Word of God clearly into us so that that lost world out there can see something different about us. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. They can't see Christ in us if we look just like them. But one of the problems in the church, I'm not surprised. And again, I'm not casting a stone. I'm just stating reality. I got a problem with churches that set up little old picnic areas out in the front of the foyer for people to come. And I don't mind you coming and having coffee and breakfast in the church. But I got a problem that there's places that call themselves a church and serve beer in the foyer. I got a problem with that. See, I got a problem with people that claim to be a Christian, but they don't act any different than they did before they got saved. I have a problem with that. Because I don't believe that if anything changed on the outside, I don't believe it could have changed on the inside. So if we're going to reach the world, it's up to you and I to have a clear image of Christ so that we might know what we're trying to walk, know what we're trying to talk, so that when the world looks at us, they might see a true picture of Christ in us. Amen? Our slogan, if you ever look at our webpage, is changing our surroundings one soul at a time. That's what I want Faith Baptist Church to do. Change our surroundings one soul at a time. And we can do that. Can, can we change the world? No. Can we change the world in a day? No. There's a lot of things I can't change. But I can change my immediate surroundings. I don't have to let them think I like the dirty jokes. I don't have to laugh at stuff that ain't funny to me. I don't have to listen to language that is inappropriate for my ears. I can let them know I don't want to hear it, and if they don't want to stop talking that way, I don't have to listen to nothing they have to say. See, I may not can control you. I may not can control them, but I can't control my environment. I can't control what comes on my television in my house. I can't control what comes through my radio. I can't control the things that I allow to come into my ears by removing my presence from those who are putting things in that I don't want to hear. But in doing so, you're letting them see a clear image of Christ. If you're in a place you shouldn't ought to be, let them see Christ in you. Get up and walk out. Doesn't matter who's there. That's not being good at two shoes. That's just trying to be Christian. Amen? I, 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 would, I would tend to believe. And again, you're you and I'm me. But I, I would tend to believe that there's not a one of us in here and not one of us out there watching on live stream that does not need to improve our Christian walk. I would tend to believe that, that none of us have arrived. I would tend to believe that not one of us are a crystal clear image of Christ when people look at us, which tells me I can spend the next year, I'm fixing to get a new year, I ain't talking about, what do you call it, a resolution. I'm talking about changing a lifestyle. Study to show thyself approved, read more effectively and learn more. I'm talking about taking 2021 and try to learn all I can about this book. So that Christ might use us. Washington ain't going to get us out of this. They're doing a good job of getting us in it. 
They ain't doing nothing to get us out of it. It's only, well, yeah, whatever. There's nothing good going on there. But there's a bunch of stories where nations have been in worse shape than this one. God stepped in. There's also some nations that looked a lot like this one with the abominations going on. And God said it is enough. And God removed them. He doesn't owe the United States anything. But he still says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. It's got to start for me right here. It's got to start with you with the face you see in the mirror. I could have you just stand up for a minute. If I get you to bow your heads, close your eyes, just for a minute. This has nothing to do with me. This has nothing to do with me. This, this, is, just, this is just a question. God give me a message to close out 2020, to go into 2021, that he might use us to make a difference in a dark world. So this, this is going to be a commitment. I'll give you this for free before I even ask the question. It's better not to make a commitment than to make one and break one. If you're going to deal with God, don't make something you don't plan to keep. With heads bowed, eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. If you say, you know what, I want to be closer to the Lord. I want to be an image of Christ. I want a clearer picture of Christ because I want people to have a clear picture of Christ in me. I want to study more. I want to read more. I want to be approved more. I'm going to devote 2021 to change my life, to grow closer to the Lord. I'm going to follow the Word of God, study to show thyself approved. I'm, I'm going to make that my 2021. Not a New Year's resolution. You can have all that stuff. But starting today, I'm going to start changing my life for the glory of God. But I need God to help me in this. So I'm going to pray each day before I study and thank Him when I'm done. If that's you and you say, I really just want to be closer to God, you just slip your hand up right where you're at. All over the building, nearly everybody in the house says, I just want to be closer to God. Thank you. You can put them down. I just want to be more like Him. In order to do it, we're going to have to get a clear image of who He is, that He might be clear in us and clear, clear through us. I wonder if there's anybody this morning before we go, before we sing, I wonder if there's anybody that's never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and save your soul. I'm not talking about come to church. I'm talking about ask Jesus to save you. If you died right now, do you know that you know that you know you'd go to heaven? Not a doubt in your mind. If you don't know that, the Bible says that you can know. You can know those things. Nathan, Nathan, come down here a minute, buddy. I'm going to get you to do something for me. Come on, Nathan, yeah, come on. If you've never trusted Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, would you be willing right now? Heads about, eyes are closed when you're in God. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and save my soul. And I'm asking them in Jesus' name. Father, I just want to be saved. I'm asking you to save me. 
in the name of Jesus. That's not a magic poem. You don't say that and go on living like you did. That's a change of heart that's given your life to Christ. If you said that prayer this morning or anything like it, and you surrender, sit right there, buddy. Sit right there just a minute. I'll get you in just a minute. If you said a prayer or anything like that, nobody's looking around. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to rejoice this morning. You slip your hand up. Hold it up high. People stand and take me a minute. I see that hand. Anybody else? I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody in the balcony? Anybody else along the main floor? Hold them up just a minute. Amen. You can put them down. Isn't it good to have all your sins washed away? Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. Get up one morning just like I did, and we all did as children of God. Got up one morning on our way to hell. Went to bed that night on our way to heaven. All because of what Christ did for us. Amen. Let's